1: Hey, everybody. This is Evan Lazar, and you are listening to the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media and our good friends at BetOnline.ag. I'm joined, as always, by Alex Barth. And Alex, today we have the unfortunate... Uh, circumstances of talking about Tom Brady playing in the Super Bowl for another team that is not the New England Patriots. I want to give you two takes on the NFC Championship game and then get your reaction to them. The, the first one is that Brady obviously played lights out in the first half, 222, 202 yards, two touchdowns, great on third down. That 21 to 10 lead was a big reason why the Bucks were able to hang on in this game then became the Green Bay Packers' poop sandwich, right? The play right before the half. The second half was an absolute disaster from Green Bay. Abandoning their running game, I really felt like they just kind of abandoned their scheme altogether. And then they were also two for four in the red zone, obviously. Aaron Rodgers, I thought, had an opportunity to run for a touchdown, throws an incomplete pass. They kicked a field goal instead of going for it down eight. Just a really terrible amount of mistakes by the Green Bay Packers in that second half. Brady, great in the first half. Second half, I I felt like Green Bay kind of gave that game to Tampa. What's your take on it?
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I pretty much agree with that. I think my overarching take from this playoffs, the one thing that's been a constant across all the games, all the rounds, all the teams, is the situational coaching has been putrid. I mean, just horrible. You go back to, you know, Mike Vrabel's punt against the Ravens you look at the the Browns last drive against the Chiefs you look at uh, a couple of bad field goals and I'm sure we'll get to the one the Bills kicked at the end of the half and then obviously what my my uh what what LaFleur did and I think we're learning that these you know these genius coaches these wunderkind coaches that group that they're all like in their like late 30s early 40s they're viewed as like these brilliant play designers whatever right they all now – and it's not just this playoffs. You can throw Kyle Shanahan in this group. They've all just been totally pantsed in basic situational football opportunities, whether it's timeout management, whether it's an extra point versus going for two, going for it on a fourth down, taking a field goal versus going for it. There's just I, – I think, you know, we hail these coaches as brilliant, and I'm not saying that some of what they do isn't, but – Everybody right now is so into the, you know, how many motions can we run in one play? And let's put this guy in motion. Let's do this weird thing. A double handoff reverse. If you don't know when to kick a field goal versus go for it, none of that matters. And I think we're underrating situational coaching as a whole in the NFL right now. And that was very much on display this weekend, and it was very much on display with the Packers. I'm not saying LaFleur should be fired. I'm not saying Sean McDermott should be fired. But, like, how much of that loss is on Matt LaFleur's situational coaching ability? A considerable amount of it. Right. So I, I mean every that
1: part of that, too, is, is what happened with Andy Reid, right? I mean, Andy Reid right, for, for years, years, right. obviously got Patrick Mahomes and just won every game by three touchdowns, you know, besides the Super Bowl last year, obviously. That was the point that kind of broke Andy Reid where he finally got that quarterback where his game management and his situational play calling didn't necessarily matter because they had such a good QB that they kind of made up for it. And I felt like with Green Bay, and this is something that similar to what happened with the 49ers in the Super Bowl last year, you have a formula as an offense, as a team that gets you to these games. And then I think sometimes these coaches especially when you have a quarterback as good as Aaron Rodgers, they lose sight of what really got them here, right? What really got them to be in this spot. Aaron Rodgers threw the ball over 50 times. The Packers only ran it 16 times in that game against Tampa Bay. Now, the Buccaneers have one of the best-run defenses in the NFL, so maybe they just felt like the matchup was better for them to let Aaron Rodgers go Superman and throw the ball a bunch. But that was not the identity of this Packers offense. They were a balanced offense, and they were an offense that definitely leaned heavily on their running game and offensive line at times this season to set up the play-action passes, to set up the Aaron Rodgers deep shots down the field. This game felt like they just said, Aaron, we're going to put you in the shotgun. We're going to run a bunch of stuff, but we're going to have you win. We're going to win it or lose it with our quarterback. And you can't really blame them when you have a quarterback as good as Rodgers, but at the same time... But how are you... And, and you're not wrong,
0: right? If I'm going to attach my wagon to somebody, Aaron Rodgers is not a bad option. Right. But how, and I, I'm not necessarily, say, necessarily saying what you said is wrong. It's just more of an addendum to that. How are you going to say for 28 minutes, right? That whole second half, most of that second half, how are you going to say for 28 minutes, we are going to ride or die with Aaron Rodgers. And then with Aaron Rodgers and one of the best red zone, de- I think they were the best red zone defense in football kick a field goal from the six-yard line, right, with just over two minutes left. Like, if you're going to ride or die with Aaron Rodgers, do it. Then do it. Then go for it. If you're going to say we're going to put our defense in a situation to win us this game, fine, then do it. There was too much back and forth. It was an extreme example. I think I said this about the Browns last week where that last drive, you know, if you want to be conservative, that's fine. If you want to start burning timeouts, that's fine. You can't do both. You can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. The Packers wanted to ride with Aaron Rodgers until it got a little bit scary, and then they turtled, and you can't do that. If you were going to go all in, like you said, on Aaron Rodgers – you're not, you're not kicking a field goal in
1: that spot. Kicking a field goal in that spot is one of the more perplexing decisions I've seen from a coach in a big game in a long time. Like, I would say even more than, like, the Niners kind of abandoning their running game in the fourth quarter against Kansas City last year in the Super Bowl, because at least you understood they're going up against Patrick Mahomes. They probably feel like they need to keep scoring to be able to stay in the game. Okay, fine. This situation, though, you are basically saying that we are counting on our defense To stop Tom Brady in a two-minute drill before he runs out the clock, all Brady needed was a couple of first downs, and he's in the Super Bowl. That To think that you're going to get the ball back from Tom Brady in that standpoint is one of the more perplexing coaching decisions, head-scratching decisions, I've seen in a long, long time. And I think that Rodgers, the only way that he kind of played into this too – was if he had ran on that third down play, even if he doesn't score, if he gets down to the right. four or two yard line, then maybe that pushes Lafleur's hand a little bit more to go for it on fourth down. I think the issue with the reason why they didn't go for it on fourth down is because it was a fourth and what was it? Fourth and six at that point, maybe it was fourth and eight. They were eight, yeah, yeah they were outside the five. And that's a long way to get one, you know, for one play to work, right? So that, I think, is the biggest reason why they deterred from kicking the field goal. So if Rodgers takes off there, even if he doesn't make it, you at least go from a fourth and eight to a fourth and two type of situation, and then it's much easier to call your best two-point play and get the ball in the end zone. Well, I'll say
0: this, too, about Rodgers, and I think it's totally fair to fault him for not running the ball. It looked like he had it. I agree with you. My bigger issue with it though is, I mean, you're, you're Aaron freaking Rogers. You're the MVP. This is your hand picked coach. You ran the last guy out. He was a long term coach. You ran the last guy out. This is your hand picked coach. You don't know how many more shots you're going to have at that. He walked off the field. How many times have we seen a quarterback and not, this isn't just a Brady thing. You know, Peyton Manning did this. I've seen Mahomes. Lamar, do it. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Jackson. Couple, Chad, yeah. Chad Henny did it last week. How many times have we seen a quarterback kind of pitch a fit in that situation, right? Tell the coach you think you can get it. Stay on the field. Don't let him take the ball out of your hands. It's like Blake Snell in the World Series, right? You have this guy who's throwing a gem, and you're going to take the ball out of his hands? Rogers was playing well. Don't let the coach take the ball out of your hands. Don't let the coach make it about him. You, you put up a fight. He walked right off the field. And afterwards, he said, you know, it's not my choice. That's turtling to me. That's turtling. That's, you know, people talk about clutch and anti-clutch in terms of, you know, do you make the play with the game on the line, whatever. To me, part of being clutch is just wanting the ball in your hands, wanting the opportunity to make that play, whether you make it or not. Do you want to be in that position or are you afraid of that position? Aaron Rodgers was afraid. He Mm -hmm. didn't want the ball. If he did, he certainly didn't show it. He certainly didn't make a point of letting it be known to his coach, which he should have done. And that, I mean, that should haunt Packers fans, and that should haunt him, that they're all-world quarterback who they claim is the greatest of all time. I don't know that he's the greatest in franchise history, but they say he's the greatest of all time. All right, we don't have time didn't for that. not want the ball thing. in that situation.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really interesting game to look at because, like I said, Brady played great in the first half. He got them that lead. He did throw three touchdown passes in this game, but they had three opportunities two in the fourth quarter. Now, granted, some of those interceptions were in Packer territory, right? So that definitely helped out t- Tampa Bay. I'm not going to sit here and say that they were purposely thrown on that side of the 50 because that would be crazy, but they definitely ha- – Brady knows when to throw a good interception and a bad interception sometimes, right? And some of those plays were definitely better interceptions because he knew they were down the field.
0: Uh, and one of
1: them, maybe. One of them was definitely – an. I wouldn't call it a, a none of no interception is good but if you're good at throw a pick you might as well throw it on third down where the guys getting downed on the 24 yard line and they still have to drive 75 but like, yards even that I thought that was a real throw that Mike Evans just quit on the ball I don't think he could find it, I think, it was the biggest problem. It's I don't think he I, looked. It's kind of expensive. Huh. Well, when you're looking for the ball over your shoulder like that and you you don't know where it is in the air, it's pretty hard to locate the ball after the fact if it's not going into the spot that you want it to go in. But uh, yeah, I want to get to my, my second take here. Yeah. Brady wouldn't be playing in the Super Bowl with the Patriots this year. I, I think we can say that. And I think that the big, the biggest reason why you kind of have to find some solace in this game and, the, and that Brady made the Super Bowl, if you're a Patriot fan, is that he went to Tampa Bay so that he could throw three second-half interceptions and still make the Super Bowl. Because on the team that he had last year and the team that he would have had this year in New England, he was going to have to be perfect. He wasn't perfect in this game against Green Bay, and they're still going to play in, in Super Bowl 55. So to me, this – All it did, and everybody tries to make this about Brady versus Belichick, all it did is solidify the fact that the Patriots were not set up in a position for a 43-year-old Tom Brady to take a team to a Super Bowl, whereas Tampa Bay, I think maybe at 7-9 and last year, you had a quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over 30 times. It worked out a lot better for him being in Tampa Bay. I, again, don't think that he comes anywhere close to playing on Super Bowl Sunday if he's still in New England. So – I mean, I agree and disagree
0: with that. I think, yes, if you just dropped him, like, swap him and Cam Newton one for one, does he make the Super Bowl, though? No. But, like, did, I don't think this would have been the roster if Tom Brady came back. Like, you know, we, we saw the report that the Patriots declined, that they had a chance to match on Stephon Diggs and they didn't do it. I would think that's because they knew at that point that Tom Brady was gone. And right. that trade, as much as the Patriots needed weapons this year – that trade really doesn't make any sense if you don't have Tom Brady. Like, if Brady tell, if, if they go to Brady and say we have a chance to make this deal and get Stefan Diggs, and he says I'm staying, you know, how does that change the conversation? You know, do they trade out of the first round accumulate picks, or, or do they? Not that Duggar was bad, but did do they get a more immediate defensive playmaker? Does Julian Edelman's trajectory look a little different? Does he maybe push a little harder because they all talked about when he went down that it was not a season-ending injury? Does he come back like? So Brady does not take the 2020 Patriots as they were constructed to the Super Bowl. I'll concede that point. I just find it hard to believe that this is the team he would have
1: had had he been here. And I'm not saying that the reason he missed- I'm going off of that is because that's what the head coach told us all year long. They had no money, they had no, you know, cap space to go out there and add more to the team. I think that did you believe that though? Did you really believe that? I believe that they felt like they needed to reset their cap. Did I think that they were really tied up against it that they couldn't do anything at all to upgrade the twenty twenty roster? Not necessarily. But but do they feel? Do you think they feel the need to reset it if Brady's still here?
0: Maybe not, but I do feel like we're talking within the margins. Of- but like, but like how much? How much would that like that Digs trade would have changed things monumentally? And who knows?
1: Maybe some guys I don't do knock that. out. Maybe I you don't have know Matt about the Diggs report. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little you skeptical went. about it. Fair yeah. enough. But, like, maybe I some don't guys- in any scenario, Bill Belichick being in on a trade where there's four or five picks going back for one player to a team. And that's why I think when the Vikings called him and said, hey, do you want to make this deal? He said, no, I don't want to make this deal. No, thanks. And I don't even know if Brady was still here if he makes that deal for Stephon Diggs because that's just – Totally outside the realm of anything that Belichick has ever done to mortgage that much of the draft capital that they have for one player. It would be unheard of. He's never done that. Yeah,
0: I just feel like extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures. And the other thing with Brady's, you don't know. I mean, none of the
1: bucks opted out. That's not an accident. You know, right, maybe did Dr. Maybe, Hightower's living situation change because Tom Brady is maybe maybe not all of them, agreed. but maybe
0: maybe you know, he talks Matt Lacoste into staying around and you have, you know, That's I'm different. not saying Matt Lacoste is a world beater, but you know, do you take him absolutely over Ryan Izzo? You know, maybe, uh, uh, Marquise Lee hangs around and again, not a world beater, but certainly an upgrade. And you know, if you're looking at, you know, your, your tight end and your two wide receivers, I'm not saying it's great, but if you're, you maybe have Stephon Diggs, Marquise Lee and, and Matt Lacoste. Why why are we talking about Marquise Lee and Matt Lacoste like those two guys move the needle at all, though? Because they are still, and they don't, but, you know, Marquise Lee and Matt Lacoste versus Nikhil versus, because when you compare them to Nikhil, Harry, and Ryan Izzo, yeah, they move the needle. Does
1: Marquise Lee even play? Like honestly, because you're not going to play him over Jacoby Myers once Jacoby Myers woke up a little bit. You're not going to play him over Demir Bird because he's a totally different player, right? I I, I just don't even Does know he play I'm over thinking. Nikhil. He might. I guess. Might that, I just don't even see Marquis Lee in that role being productive at all. I mean, obviously Nikhil Harry wasn't productive at all either. I think the the main reason why I brought up this point is because this was the decision that Brady made because he saw the writing on the wall in New England. He saw the roster around him deteriorating. He saw some of the players on the roster aging out guys like Gronk retiring, Julian Edelman, you know, banged up every single year. He saw all of these things happening. Maybe even I would say going all the way back to 2018 is when it sort of slowly started to erode and they just start, got hot on offense in the playoffs. And then the defense really turned a corner as well. And everybody flipped the switch in the 2018 postseason, Right. And they right. were able to go on that one last run. And that's great. But I think that that was a little bit of fool's gold. Right. I think that Tom Brady saw that this team was lacking in a lot of areas and He's now in Tampa Bay with a Buccaneers defense that was fifth in DVOA during the regular season and is even better now, I would say, than what they were playing at in the regular season when they were, had, had some moments of inconsistency during the, the year. In the two, in the three playoff games, they have been far from inconsistent. They've been dominant on that side of the ball. He has Mike Evans. He has Chris Godwin who doesn't even get the ball. You know, he, he they have so many weapons in Tampa Bay that Chris Godwin is like the third or fourth guy on the depth chart right now. Scotty Miller comes out of nowhere as a classic, you know, Patriot-like feel of the six-round pick coming out of nowhere to be a productive player. They have two tight ends that are better than any tight ends on the Patriots. I I think that what Brady saw was something that a lot of us saw coming, and that was that the Patriots were heading for a rebuild, and they were heading for a downward turn, and he, at 43 years old, could not afford to be on a team that couldn't carry him a little bit in some ways. And he made this move. He threw three interceptions in the game that he still should have won. He still played good enough to win in that game, in the NFC title game. But there is no way that he plays a playoff game with the Patriots this year, throws three picks, and they win. There's no way. You're right. But he probably does play a
0: playoff game with the Patriots if he stays, I think. I I agree
1: that they would have made the playoffs. I'm not saying they would have gone seven and nine. But I think that they would have won, you know, they win 10-11 games. They make the postseason. I'm not even sure they win the division because Buffalo played so well this year that they might actually still win the AFC East. I, I, I don't know about that. I know you're well, not a Buffalo believer, even though they are in the AFC title game. I, I get it. But I, I feel like they I, – I feel like we need to come to terms with the fact that Tom Brady made the decision – this was great. As much as everybody wants to make this about Bill Belichick pushing Tom Brady out and, and showing Tom Brady the door, ultimately the guy that made the decision to leave was the guy that was a free agent, right? And right. he, he saw that he had one situation in New England where maybe he was being offered a little bit less money with zero cap flexibility with not a lot of talent around him currently already on the roster. Or he could go play in this for Tampa Bay with this ready-made team with a coach and Bruce Arians that was basically just saying Tom, you're going to be the offensive coordinator and I'm going to get out of your way. And I, I feel like that was the best move for him personally and professionally, and he did it. And now we're seeing we're we're reaping the benefits of it. If you're Tom Brady, and we can sit here and say was it all Brady? Was it all Belichick? In reality, it was the entire team. Right? It it, it right. was the Patriots roster versus the Bucks roster. I, I don't think that Tom Brady thinks that Bruce Aaron's a better coach than Bill Belichick, but the Bucks have a better team than the Patriots do right now. Yeah.
0: And I mean, it's hard not to say, so we kind of knew for a couple years that the Bucks are right on the precipice, right? I, I think it least, I, I it really was, I felt that way that, you know, Jameis was the problem there and they didn't quite, I mean, the defense went to another level this, this year, but offensively I've always thought, Cameron Bray was a good player. I, uh, you know, Mike Evans is, we, we know how outstanding he is. They finally put an offense, somewhat of an offensive line together. I still think the center is a problem. Um, they, they put the defense together like that, that team was on the cusp. They're just, they're one of those teams that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it was always kind of hard to believe that they right. were really competent. Um, but you always knew they were a quarterback away. I, I, I kind of felt that way for two or three years. So yeah, no, they, they, they certainly had the better roster. They kind of built it up and, um, you know, they were able to maximize it in the most complete way with Brady. So, you know, if Brady doesn't go there, right? Let's say Brady stays in New England. I think we're talking about Matthew Stafford being like the guy for Tampa next year. Um, or maybe to even Deshaun Watson, like you, you cut that, that team's been good for a while. It just goes to show they changed one, one position. And yes, they got the greatest of all time at that position, but you know, at another position, if you upgrade from a Jameis level to a Brady level, you might not. Note, you'll notice it, but it's not going to be what, uh, uh, an eight win difference and a Super Bowl trip, right? It just goes to show that you can talk about fo- football is a team game. I'm not saying it's not And every position matters, but some position matters more than, more than others. And this is just showing that the quarterback position still is the chief among them. If you don't have a quarterback, it doesn't matter what kind of talent you have around you, you know, You don't necessarily need a world-beater quarterback, but if you don't have a quarterback, and I don't think Jameis is a starting-caliber NFL quarterback, if you don't have that baseline, if you don't have a net-negative quarterback, all the talent in the world isn't going to help you. And and I think that's what the Buccaneers between last year and this year are the perfect example of, right? Like the Niners last year, is Jimmy Garoppolo good? No, but he's not bad. And that was the difference. This year they had a bad quarterback, and they were a bad team. Garoppolo wasn't... Good, but he wasn't bad. He didn't turn the ball over a ton. He didn't lose them games, and they were able to get to a Super Bowl like that.
1: As much as you want to put the emphasis on the quarterback, though, it is the ultimate team game, right? Football is No, it, it is, it's yes.
0: And, that, that, that's and I why feel like
1: yeah. – since Sunday, and I get it, it's emotional. It stinks. Like, it stinks to see Tom Brady in a different uniform, on the podium, taking the NFC Championship trophy, and with a different jersey on. It, it's tough, right? It's going to yeah. be tough to see him play on Super Bowl Sunday with the Bucks in a few weeks. But stop crying about losing Brady because you're not the same team as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You don't have Mike Evans. You don't have Chris Godwin. You're not pulling Rob Gronkowski out of retirement. You're not the same team. And you're not getting there in the same way that Tampa just got there. So to me, you're, we're we're crying over something that is 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 something that's not even really going to come to fruition if he's in New England. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl matchup right now on BetOnline.ag. I believe the Chiefs are three and a half point favorites. Maybe you liked. the uh, the Patriots, the Buccaneers, and Tom Brady. Maybe you want to put your money on there. There's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. All right, let's talk about this Super Bowl matchup because – there is a chance here between the Bucks and the Chiefs that the Chiefs, just like they did to Buffalo, are an avalanche. They're a wagon, right? And there is a chance that they are just going to blow everybody off the field with their speed, with their talent, especially on the offense side of the ball. But, but. I think the Bucks do have a slight advantage in this game that maybe they can take advantage of. And that is probably the biggest mismatch, at least on paper, to me, is going to be this Bucks defensive line against a really banged-up Chiefs offensive line. Now, you have Mahomes, who's obviously mobile and handles pressure extremely well. He can't get the ball out of his hands quickly if they didn't need to go to that sort of game plan. But JPP, Shaq Barrett, Domkin Sioux, Vita Vea, those guys have a real mismatch, and we saw what they did to Aaron Rodgers in that game against Green Bay with five sacks, that's the one thing that I would hang my hat on other than having Tom Brady, of course, on the other side if I'm Tampa Bay, is they can dominate the trenches in this matchup, and maybe maybe that is a way. It's kind of like the Death Star, right? There, There's one weakness to Kansas City, potentially their offense, and it's the offensive line. Now, 99% of the time, they're just going to destroy you anyways, but maybe that 1% of the time, they can get after Mahomes and rattle him a little bit, and there's no Eric Fisher at left tackle, there's no Mitchell Schwartz at right tackle, they're down both their starting tackles in Kansas City. I do feel like what we saw under this Tampa Bay front, they have the ability to take control of this game, if they can get after Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I just,
0: it, it, it to
1: kind of flip it, you talked
0: about Brady on the other side, like, I think to take advantage of that side of the ball, the Bucks have to, we, we talked about this last week, like the Bucs have to dink and dunk and Bruce Arians just has refused to be a game playing coach throughout the season. It's gotten better, but I don't think it's necessarily good. And, you know, I, when the Chiefs first came up, like the, the, the Patrick Mahomes Chiefs, Chiefs first emerged, that's how you beat them. They had no secondary. You took the deep shots. Now they have a great secondary. Tyron Matthews playing the best football of his career, I think. And you're, you're not going to win that way. The Bucks are going to kind of have to take at times what the Chiefs give them, which is so scary when the other side can put up big points. And, yeah, you talk about that offensive line. The thing I'm looking at is Jordan White had left Sunday's game with an injury. Antoine Winfield, I think, we're expecting to be back, but he's banged up. I mean, facing the Chiefs without your top two safeties is pure nightmare fuel. Like, that is, talk about a worst-case scenario. So how much is it going to matter up front? And I I know generally you'd say oh well,
1: you need time to get the ball down the field, Mahomes kind of doesn't. He can. Well, he also can backpedal fifteen steps exactly. and throw it another fifty yards down the field. So right, that's my point. He's so, kind of a pressure breaker in that sense. So you know if your
0: top two safeties are question marks, he's going to be able to extend the play enough where he'll hit a couple of those, regardless of the protection up front. So I just you know that that's what I'm looking at. That's my matchup is. How do Tampa safeties look going into the game? Are they healthy? Are they ready to go? And even still, that's a couple of young guys you got back there. And I know Mahomes is young too, but he's not. He is, he's playing like a 10 year veteran. He knows what he's doing. Like that's, if those guys can't handle their business back there, and I'm talking about Whitehead and Winfield, it's going to be a long, long, long game.
1: Right, and the sort of game plan, I would think, if you're Tampa Bay, ideally, would be to jam the receivers up at the line of scrimmage, to throw off the timing, to allow Shaq Barrett and JPP and those guys to get some pressure on Mahomes before he can get rid of the ball. The issue is what you just said. I don't know if Tampa Bay in the secondary has the personnel to play press man against Tyree Kill and all these guys on Kansas City for the entire game. They're a very heavy. Todd Bowles loves to blitz, and he loves to zone blitz, especially from quarters looks. And cover four. I, I I don't. That is a strategy that the Patriots used a little bit more this year against Kansas City. They played a lot of eight man coverages. Remember, they played a little bit of man, but they were doing a lot of zone match. If I was Tampa Bay, I would look at that game plan that Bill Belichick drew up earlier in the season against Kansas City, because a lot of teams have tried the Patriots' 2018 AFC title uh, game game plan of press man. Across the board, jam him up at the line of scrimmage, disrupt them, throw off the timing, hope that you can get home uh, against Mahomes by doing that and Patrick Mahomes eventually you just can't cover Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey the whole game like that, and right. the dam eventually breaks. But the Patriots were able to really put a cap on their deep passing attack by going with more too deep looks with their safeties, passing off deep crossing routes in the secondary instead of trying to run across with Tyree Kill in man coverage. You see a safety coming down and taking him away on those crossing routes. Those are the sort of the strategies that have worked against Mahomes maybe a little bit more than I would say the man coverage stuff. The man coverage stuff worked for three quarters for the Patriots because they had Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson and Jonathan Jones in a great secondary. Most of these teams don't have the defensive player of the year playing at cornerback, and, and they don't have that type of talent. I don't think Tampa Bay has that type of talent in the secondary. Looking at the Kansas City defense, though, against the Tampa Bay offense, I do think that that is an interesting matchup that maybe Kansas City is a little bit better on defense in the playoffs than they were in the regular season at covering down the field. I thought that the Bills were going to be able to score on that Kansas City defense. I really did. I thought that Stephon Diggs was going to be able to get open against them, Cole Beasley. It didn't work out that way. And it was actually a much more of a slogging game for the Bills offense than you really expected. So, if you, are you going to get playoff Kansas City defense? Cause they did this last year too in the playoffs with their defense. They flipped the switch. Right. Are you going to get that defense or are you going to get the defense that they had during the regular season? And last point here, if you go down by multiple scores to Tom Brady, this is not, Kansas City does this. They'll, they'll start slow. They start slow and, and on a, it was nine nothing. I think it was. Yep, should have been 10, missed extra point. They will start slow. And Brady is one of those guys that, usually doesn't lose games when he's got a halftime lead, right? But, but he
0: also starts slow in the Super Bowl almost true.
1: every that's time. True. So we got two slow starters
0: going up against each other. Like this is a game where it could be, you know, I think in some ways it's going to feel like a college football game where it, it could be like 7 nothing after one quarter and then both teams score in the 40s. Right. Like I yeah, wouldn't rule out it being that kind of game.
1: That's how a lot of these games have honestly gone against Mahomes and Brady, especially those two games in 2018. Yeah. They really turned into shootouts in the second half, especially in that fourth quarter of the title game. But remember the regular season game too, the Patriots played a ton of man. They blitzed Patrick Mahomes a lot in the first half. They came out, they played zone in the second half, and Mahomes tore him apart. They ended up winning that game, what, 48-45 or something like that? Yeah, yeah Gostowski. Right. And then in the title game, same thing. They shut him out by halftime is yeah, I think, you know, the Patriots were up. Uh The Chiefs didn't score in the first half. And then Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, remember all the pick routes and stuff like that against man coverage? Right. They finally figured out a way to break the dam. So that's what this Chiefs team does is they kind of slowly start into some of these games, and then it's just an avalanche And it, towards the second half into the second half. That's going to be the question is can Tampa Bay – withstand the avalanche, right? Can can they withstand that? The one other thing that I wanted to mention is that I know you're going to hate this. I don't know how many times we're going to see anybody run the ball in this Super Bowl. These are two teams that love to throw it. They love to put it in the air. You're looking at a game where you could have both quarterbacks dropping back to pass 50 times, which is just I don't know who that plays into. I don't know whose hands that plays into directly, but this is going to be a, a passing-centric game. These are two of the most passing sure. teams in the league. Well, that's
0: why. I mean, like I just said, like I'm kind of looking at it like a Big 12 game. Um And yeah, I like old-school football. I, I mean, I'm not going to be disappointed. I do. I wouldn't sleep on the Chiefs running the ball early, just because I think when you have a young defense, a Tampa's defense, it maybe up front, you know, with JPP and Sue, they're a little more veteran. But when you get beyond that. Smart kids, but they're kids, and I think if you're Kansas City and you can kind of get the run going early, you can – and I know it's cliche, like you don't need to establish the run to have play-action work, but it makes it more effective, and I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas City comes out and runs the ball a little bit early to try to set up some play-action stuff.
1: Right, and I definitely think they're going to run a ton of RPOs against this Tampa Bay defense because they're going to want to get the ball out of Mahomes' hands quickly. I don't think that I think Andy Reid's going to be smart enough not to test this pass rush of Tampa Bay. This is a really good Tampa Bay defensive line, and Todd Bowles is really good at drawing up the pressure schemes too and throwing different looks at quarterbacks. He's an aggressive defensive coordinator, Mahomes historically has destroyed the blitz. You don't blitz Patrick Mahomes. It's like a death sentence, right? So right. it would be really interesting to see how those kind of balancing act uh, with those two styles because Kansas City on early downs, is a very heavy RPO team, very ha- heavy West Coast quick passing type of team. It's really in the second and third down area where they start to get into some of their vertical shots. So I'm very fascinated to see how aggressive Bowles is because against the Packers, he was pretty aggressive. He puts Aaron Rodgers a decent amount, especially early on in that game. And they were actually sending run blitzes at the line of scrimmage too early on in that game to shut down Green Bay's rushing attack. So they're not going to have to worry as much about the rushing attack with Kansas City. But it's going to be interesting to see how Bowles, does he he do what he always does or does he do do something different against Patrick Mahomes? I I think that this is a great matchup, though, on paper. I I think that Kansas City, early prediction, I don't know if anybody can stop Kansas City right now. Because you feel like you're beating them, right? Like you feel right. like you're in the game. You feel like you're winning. I mean, Buffalo must have been going crazy back in Buffalo when it's nine nothing, right? You think that you right. got this and all of a sudden Patrick Mahomes just like flips a switch. Like it, it, it's honestly, he flips a switch. Tyree Kill gets loose a couple of times for big plays and it's over. So, and, and, and that's a good point. And I think, you know, we talked about
0: for years, you know, the next Patriots and who's going to be the next Patriots. And you know, it was the Colts and then it was the Broncos and then it was the Ravens. And then, uh, you know, the Ravens got in there a second time at one point and, and, and whatever. And the Chiefs are, I think the closest thing in that they're a boogeyman and right. Remember the clip on the sideline? It's Muhammad Sanu and, and I think Justin Hardy in Super Bowl 41. They're like, we're going to win this. We're going to win this. He's like, yeah. not with that quarterback. So. What it comes down to to me though, and I think this, this is something, this is, this was one of my big takeaways from the AFC championship. Part of the reason I love football so much, one, it's a team game, like we discussed about a true team game. The other is I think football more often than any other sport, the best team doesn't always win. Basketball almost always, the best team wins. Hockey. It, it, you, you generally get the better team that wins. Baseball is weird because the starting pitcher. Sometimes hockey gets
1: goalie syndrome, though, right? You know, sometimes. Right,
0: but this is what football can happen with the quarterback. I think can, but but I guess what I'm what I'm saying in football is you you really don't always get the best team winning. But I think if you want to win, not being the best team in football, you have to recognize that you're not the better team. And I think that's what made the Bills so good all year is that they were so – not that they didn't think they were the better team in some of those games, but they played so aggressively. Right. And that's what made them good and made them fun to watch. They didn't do that against the Chiefs, right? You go back to the field goal at, the, at halftime. And I just – you know, the Bills didn't play like they knew that the Chiefs were a better team.
1: The Bills the Chiefs, didn't play like they did all year. The Bills were – Exactly. Go for All it. year they played like underdogs, and then they were the underdog, and they didn't play like it. It was so, crazy. It was crazy because the analytics darlings love the Buffalo Bills all year long. Right? Yeah. Shocker. They, they were wrong. Shocker. Aggressive, were wrong. aggressive passing team, first and second down passing, going for it on pretty much every, you know, kind of in questionable fourth down decision. Right. Are you going to go for it? Are you not going to go for it? They went for it all year long. Then Sean McDermott gets into this playoff game against Kansas City, and he – Felt like he needed to keep the game close with field goals. But as we know from the math, field goals is not what keeps the game close. Against the from from common sense, you don't
0: beat the Chiefs kicking field goals. And that's the second year in a row now, McDermott's choked, by the way. They had that collapse against Houston, and it's not a coincidence, but we'll have that conversation another time. The point I was making is I think to win when you're not the better team, you have to, to an extent, recognize you're not the better team. And the Chiefs are the better team here. When's the last time Tom Brady had to recognize he wasn't the better team? I don't know that he had to against Green Bay. I don't know. It was it might have been a wash. Like that's going to be interesting. And I don't know if Bruce Arians is going to recognize it just cuz he's Bruce Arians no, and I, I don't no, think he no. has situational awareness.
1: Right. I don't know if the 2018 Patriots were better than the 2018 Chiefs. Okay. That's, that might have been be one, that might have been one game and the Patriots played that game. Very, very. They rec- aggressively. Right, they recognize that.
0: Like, yeah. I don't. Is this Bucks team going to be able to recognize that they're not the better team? Because I think that that matters. And I think the Bills not recognizing is a big reason that they didn't move. Not the only reason, but a big reason they didn't move on. So that that's going to kind of let. Let's see how they talk. Let's see what they say. Let's see the the mood of the game the first couple of minutes. I want to see if Tampa understands that they're underdogs. Like like that to me. If they come out and they think they're
1: the better team, they're going to get stuffed in a locker. That's just what's going to happen. I I agree with you there. Let's play a little bit of quarterback roulette here. We're going to yeah. talk about Matthew Stafford and his prospects of coming here to the Patriots. But I saw a tweet from Adam Schefter yesterday that I thought was really fascinating. And Schefter pegged it at eleven teams that are set at quarterback in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I I have it at twelve, and I'm, I'm going to read them off to you right now. Okay, he was in the Super Bowl, Kansas City, and Tampa Bay. Yeah, Buffalo. Sure. Although Green Bay was not on Schefter's list, I'm putting Green Bay yeah. on my list. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere. Even if he does, they does. are Jordan Love in house. So right. they have the quarterback position figured they, out. They're they're not looking for a
0: quarterback. They might not be set, but they're not looking.
1: Right. Baltimore. Yep. I know you love that one. Cleveland. Yeah, they are. That's yep. Cleveland. Yep. I'll give you that. Tennessee. Okay. The Los Angeles Chargers. Not you know, Justin yep. Harper, yep. Not going yep. anywhere.
0: I know no, that's locked in.
1: Dallas with Dak Prescott. See, are they? I, think... I don't know that
0: Dallas is, I, like, I don't trust Jerry Jones to make the right decision. I don't. They should be said. They're You're right. right. They
1: should be said. But crazy. Jerry Jones is Jerry Jones. Anything with Dak Prescott, but sign him to a contract extension. Cra- like crazy, crazy, crazy pills. But it's, but
0: yes, but it's Jerry Jones. Yeah. If it was like any other franchise besides the Jets, I'd agree with you. But it's Jerry Jones. He could do anything. If for, like, here's my thing. He should have paid Dak a year ago. What has changed since then? Just an ankle injury, which makes it less likely. Like I, well, he should be back. Do I, like, like, you know, if I'm putting money on it, do I think he will be back? Yes. Am I willing to lock it in? No. It's Jerry Jones. It's the Cowboys. Something weird could absolutely happen. And if I'm Dak Prescott, And I'm sitting there without a contract. I'm not pleased. Maybe I want to see what's on the open market. Look at Mookie Betts. He eventually got the offer he wanted from the Red Sox, but he got so many lowball offers before that, he just was turned off on the franchise, and he wanted to hit the open market.
1: Right. Like, right. Okay. So let, let's, let's give Dallas, Dallas, I'm putting them on my list. And I don't think okay. that's, that's going not. anywhere, but I hear your argument. Okay. Yes. Minnesota and Kirk Cousins, I think that that's still going to be the they, quarterback situation. They can't get right. Out of that contract, yes, right in 2021. And then the last two teams are Arizona and Seattle, Kyler and, and Russell Wilson, not going anywhere. So, so did so, he not have Cincinnati on there? He, uh, oh, in Cincinnati. Yes. That okay. was our last team. So. I was Let's if we add Cincinnati into it because I forgot them too. That's thirteen teams that are set yeah. at quarterback. That means nineteen teams are not set at quarterback. So that but, is. But wild. at the same time, like the
0: Jaguars are set.
1: They're not set, but like can we put Correct. the Jaguars the on that list? The Jaguars are going to be taking up a quarterback asset on the market. Yes, we know who it's oh,
0: going. Oh, okay. I get, I get, I get the point now. Okay, right. 100%. So
1: this is going to be, and this is what Schefter said in the tweet, potentially an unprecedented off season for quarterback movement. I mean, you could see which from, you know,
0: last year was supposed to be, ironically,
1: this one's supposed. To, I think this one's going to be even bigger because oh, no, it
0: is, it is. Last year was a once in a lifetime quarterback movement off season, and now we're getting another one a year later.
1: Right, and now we're bringing me to Stafford, where. You mentioned Jacksonville off the top. That's a team that's going to take Trevor Lawrence right off the top of the draft as yes. number one overall pick. There are other teams picking in the top 10. Carolina, Detroit. We don't know what Atlanta, the Jets and the Dolphins are going to do. One of those teams is going to scoop up a quarterback probably. Well, one of those teams
0: of the four you just mentioned, I think the, or five you just mentioned between Carolina, New York, Miami. I think one of those teams gets Watson if he's moved.
1: Okay. And then that takes another quarterback off the, you know, off this roulette wheel. So when I look at the roulette wheel and it's spinning and I see all these teams ahead of the Patriots that are probably going to draft a quarterback or trade their pick for a quarterback that's higher than the Patriots pick, Stafford might be playing the best you can get out of this entire bunch. I'm not saying it's necessarily something that you should be Looking at, you know, bypassing the draft completely. And maybe you do pick up a Mac Jones or a Kyle Trask on day two or something like that and pair him with the Matthew Stafford to kind of have a, a guy waiting in the way. But, you know? but here's the thing with that, Matt. And I've seen people say this if
0: the Patriots, if, if like the if the wheels of fate spin where the Patriots land Matthew Stafford. How many quarterbacks have to go in the first round for that to happen? Because I don't think there's a situation where the Patriots and Matthew Stafford are left as the only dance partners and Mac Jones is on the board in the second round. If that happens, six teams took a quarterback, which means pending Jamie Newman becoming an entirely new person overnight, Stafford, uh, 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 Jones and Trask went in the first round. So I don't, you know, I, I don't think you can have both of those. You have to have, right? If you're getting Jones
1: in the second round, Some team passed on drafting a quarterback because they traded for Stafford. Right, and that's the thing is that the Patriots have Jacksonville, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Falcons, the Lions, the Panthers, the Broncos, and the 49ers. That's eight teams right there all ahead of them in the draft order that are going to be on a quarterback. So eight teams for presumably if you put Stafford and Watson with the four top quarterbacks in the draft, it's eight teams for six guys. If you add Mac Jones into that, it's eight teams for seven guys. Then you have the guys, the teams behind the Patriots Wait, that are- How coming, do you- Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, you're right. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Then you have the teams behind the Patriots in the draft looking for a quarterback in the Washington football team, Chicago, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, and New Orleans. And, and Houston. And Houston. Well, he, right, exactly. They all lost the ones at the top, but you're right. right. So the biggest thing is, what I'm getting at is that the teams in front of them have more assets than the Patriots have to maneuver themselves in the first round to either pick their guy in the first round or trade for Deshaun Watson or Matthew Stafford. The teams after them, I think, are a little bit more aggressive front offices, I would say, in a lot of ways, yeah. especially Indianapolis and New Orleans. I would say those two teams come out and they swing. Right, they they don't sit back and wait for guys. They don't trade down a whole lot. Those are swinging front front offices, especially Indianapolis with Chris Ballard. I think the main point is, and we're gonna get to do we like Stafford or not for the Patriots in a second though, is that there is gonna be a ton of quarterback movement, but not a lot of teams have a ton of cap space. Right. But this is where the Patriots have the the edge, is that. In order to acquire Matthew Stafford or Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson, you got to also pay those guys. And there are only going to be five or six teams that are going to have the cap to absorb those contracts, and that is maybe where the Patriots get lucky here is that the team's bidding for Matthew Stafford, it's probably only going to be a couple because he has that contract, and you're not going to be able to fit him under the cap if you're a team that with that 175 projection a lot of teams are going to be over the cap and have to cut salary. So the Patriots are in the beneficiaries of an offseason with a lot of talent in the free agent market and in the, in the veteran market in general and not a lot of teams with cap space. So maybe that is something that could save the Patriots here. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And this is kind of the flip side. I was banging the table on this all year that I think the Patriots approach last year wasn't necessarily tanking, but it was winning without Overextending themselves. And the concept was right. 2020 is what it is. If we win, great. If we don't, but you know, let's not sign any two, three, four year deals. Let's have a ton of money next April when there's a strong free agency class. We can go out, we can really hammer it home. And so the whole why didn't they add a wide receiver? Why didn't they sign a tight end? Why didn't they this from last offseason? And yeah, that was annoying at the time, but you're kind of reaping the rewards of that now where I, I think the Saints, just for an example,
1: they're like 60, 70 million dollars over the cap. Them Philadelphia, I think, right. has the least so, most over the cap and they're gonna have to cut a bunch of guys and restructure contracts and the whole works. Yeah. So the Patriots are in a spot now where they you know
0: they're not a destination anymore in terms of like, we can guarantee you a Super Bowl, but they're a destination and they can, you know, it's the exact opposite of what they've been for 20 years. Instead of lowballing guys with promises of a Super Bowl, they can probably pay guys a little bit more than they should, but they're going to guarantee that they land them and it's really not going to stretch them too thin financially. So that's going to be interesting. You mentioned, you know, when it comes to the quarterbacks, it'll be interesting. You look at Stafford's deal. It's, it's a two year deal. There's, there's like a $3 million dead money third year on the contracts, but you know, he's 33. Does he get traded somewhere in that contract gets reworked? I think that would make a ton of sense.
1: So that's the easiest way to do it because he's only due 20 million against the cap for a team that acquires him in a trade in 2021, which is already pretty affordable, puts him right around 16th or 17th on the pecking order, which you'll take because he can play better than that, right? He's going to outplay that number. Then once you get him on your team and on your roster, you could sign him to an extension. You could do it a couple different ways. You could give him real years on an extension and just kick the can down the road on some of those cap hits and lower his 2021 number even more. Or you could do, if you really want to sell out and go for it with Bill Belichick one last time, you could do what they did with Brady and tack on those dummy years at the end of the contract, those voidable years and lower the cap hit that way. So they, it's a very flexible contract and a contract that the Patriots that could really work around. So I think the one sort of myth out there is that the Patriots would basically trade for Matthew Stafford and then have to have him throw to Jacoby Myers and Nikhil Harry and Demir Bird and Devin Ossie. No, right, they could actually trade for Matthew Stafford and sign a wide receiver and sign a tight end and really go all in with a rebuild, an uh, instant rebuild with Matthew Stafford if they wanted to.
0: They they could and I I've kind of been equating it. I don't mean to keep going back to Boston sports failures. I went back to Mookie Betts. I'm going to go to another one here. The 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 conversation we had about Miles Turner uh, a couple months ago, where where Celtics fans said, you know, he's good, but he's overpaid and he doesn't guarantee you a championship. No player guarantees you a championship, but some get you a hell of a lot closer than you are. And no, he's not overpaid. The whole concept of contracts is warped just because of inflation and people don't understand that automatically – like, if a deal was a bad deal and it was signed five years ago, three years into that deal, it becomes a good contract because of inflation. So does Matthew Stafford guarantee you a championship? No. There's only one player that comes remotely close to guaranteeing you a championship in – or not in all of professional sports. There's probably three or four in all of professional sports. There's only one in football that guarantees you a championship, and you let him go. So Stafford's going to get you a hell of a lot closer. The thing to me with Stafford – Patriots fans aren't going to want to hear this – I think he makes sense. I think he makes a ton of sense for the Patriots. I think Bill Belichick actually will go out and pursue him because I think he'll recognize that he can't win with the bargain bin again. The The problem is, does Stafford want to come to New England? And there's a huge unknown here. Let me start with this. There's a huge unknown. How much say will Matthew Stafford have in his destination? There is a report out of Detroit that he won't at all. Maybe – I'm not saying that that reporter's wrong. I just think it's one of those things where you played for that franchise 10 years. They got you nothing. They kind of have to give you a little bit of a say. And, you know, I'm not saying that he should get to dictate, but maybe they say, here's five offers. We feel like they're all equal. You pick which one, something like that. If, if, if For him to come to the Patriots, you know, there's nobody for him to throw the ball to. And I know and, – and we've had this conversation off the air, and it's, well, you know – There's nobody right now, but, you know, you can promise him free agents. That's all well and good. You can't guarantee a free agent. You can promise him Allen Robinson and Hunter Henry, but even if there's a 90% of that chance of that happening, are you going to take – if you're Matthew Stafford, are you going to take a 90% chance of Allen Robinson and Hunter Henry or a 100% chance of Debo Samuel and George Kittle, Right? The Niners are definitely the team that makes the most sense for them. Right. So if you're and, and the Patriots, I think can outbid the Niners. I, I think they can. But if you're Matthew Stafford and, and the 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 Lions come to you and they say we've got offer, we got an offer we like from San Francisco. We've got an offer we like from New England. You've given this franchise ten years of service. Which one would you rather play for? There's no planet that he says New England unless he
1: grew up a closet Patriots fan. The only says New England. Let me let me give you the pitch because okay, I'm all in on Matthew Stafford. I wrote about it earlier in the week. No, I am too. So I, I want, want like right. don't, don't hang on,
0: don't let me like get it. Get no, it. no, I know you're not. I know. I think but, unless again the Cowboys get stupid with Dak,
1: I think Matthew Stafford's the best option. He's by far the I just, best option. Right. Unless you're really considering Dak or Aaron Rodgers an option or you're considering. Trey Lance, an option, right? You know what no, I mean? I'm like, not any of that or Watson, I'm not. Right. Right. If you're considering any of those pipe dreams and options, I still am considering that. Dak a little bit, but we already had that conversation. Yeah. Maybe. Man, no, it's not happening. The reason why I'm all in on Matthew Stafford yeah. is when you look at his career, he's actually been a pretty average quarterback statistically, to be honest with you. And I'm not talking about the box score stats. I'm talking about the advanced metrics. But the biggest thing with him is when you turn on the tape, you just see an ultra-talented guy, right? Right. He was 15th in QBR this last year, right? Smack-dab in the middle, right? Pretty average NFL starter. When you turn on the tape, though, you see an elite playmaker, a guy that's got all the arm talent in the world and always has. That's what really made him the first overall pick in 2009. He can throw the ball down the field. He's one of the most accurate deep ball throwers in the league. He was second in the league in passer rating on deep passes in 2020. And he can drive the ball down the field. Those are two different things, deep ball, drive ball, right? Two different things, and he does not both well. He's extremely good at moving around in the pocket. that That's one thing that I think is a little bit sometimes – People understand that in his equation with Stafford, but they don't give enough credit to his athleticism and his ability to elude pressure in the pocket, then throw off platform and make decisions with the football once he's under pressure. Third thing is certainly a much better feel for reading the field than maybe I even expected going into the tape study. I came out with it thinking, wow, you know, this guy is not a first-read quarterback. This is certainly somebody that sees the whole field understands how to manipulate coverage, understands how to read drops, it really understands the little nuances of how to read a defense and get the ball out to the right option. And then you also have a little bit of flavor that he plays with, too. He, he plays with some swag. Oh, yeah. You know, this is a Patrick Mahomes, no-look passes, drop-down-the-arm angles, you know, different things that he does off his back foot. This is a player that has every single throw in his bag. And would be a much, much different experience, certainly, than Cam Newton, even though, actually, by some of the advanced metrics, he's actually in the same neighborhood as Cam. That That's why the advanced metrics are stupid. I'll throw
0: in, too, you know, he's a gamer. And one weird critique I keep seeing of Stafford from Patriots fans is that he's injury-prone. And they're like, oh, he doesn't he have to be hurt. He's he doesn't played, have the back issue. He's played six – he's started 16 games in seven of the last eight years. Yeah. No, we all know yeah, the curve is out enough. the shoulder – there's a difference between, you know, Ray Lewis, there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. He gets hurt a lot, but he plays and he doesn't let it affect him. He doesn't really get injured. He doesn't get injured. Not not really. He doesn't get injured. 16 games, seven out of eight years, like we've been spoiled with Tom Brady. That's absurd. Nobody yeah. does that. So, you know, he's, you're, you're right. He's incredibly talented and you're going to get his best for 16 games.
1: Right, and the other thing is, too, is he led the league – or not led the league. He was in the top five in the league in air yards last year, but he was actually also very quick trigger finger, too. He has 2.44 seconds to throw. So this is not a quarterback that holds the ball in the pocket. I've heard that a little bit out there, too, that he's sort of a gunslinger that kind of just holds the ball and tries to throw it down the field. No, this is a get-the-ball-out-of-the-hands-of-the-quarterback type of pl- passer who then schemes into deep shots and stuff like that and plays within the structure extremely well. He checks a whole lot of boxes for you and then also elevates a whole lot of things for you within, with outside of the scheme, just with his overall ability. I said that I would give up number 15. I would actually probably give up number 15 and more. And I think the biggest thing that we do with number 15 is overrate that asset of a draft pick. If you look at sort of the history of picks in that range of the draft, there's some great ones, right? I think Troy Palomalu went 15th overall way back when, Hall of Fame player. Just, I mean, it's
0: a little bit higher, but Gerard Mayo went
1: 12th, right? Right. There's so the the big the big sort of polar opposites for you is Troy Polamalu went 15th back in the day and went to the Hall yeah. of Fame. Corey Coleman also went 15th. Corey the, Coleman, former there. Patriot. Corey yeah. Coleman, former Patriots. Quarter. So that's that's sort of you can have a Troy Polamalu at 15 or you could have a Corey you, Coleman at 15. Can you do that at any pick in the draft? You can do it oh. at a lot of picks. You can do it at a lot of picks, but the point
0: is, is Peyton that Manning, you. like Peyton Manning, went one. Jamarcus Russell went one. Like 15, 15 is not a a sure thing by any means. So and I guess here, here's how I make that, and I and I do this with with every pick. With with I mean, here's how you look at it: Is the player? It's a four-year. I mean, it's a five-year contract, but it's a four-year contract, right? Who are you more likely to get something out of over the next four years? Matthew Stafford or whoever you take at 15, right? right? It's the same with, I, I was talking to Bill's fan about this and, uh, you know, they pick 30th, you know, and, and there's some talk that they, they need a pass rush. They could flip that pick for JJ Watt. What's the better use of that pick at that point? Is it, you know, taking a shot at some guy who might not pan out or you get, yeah, it's a little bit shorter window of a, of a, of a projection, but you're going to get a guy who's proven he can do it in this league. Yeah. You know, is Mac jo- Mac Jones's ceiling is Matthew Stafford to me.
1: That I, is, for best. I mean, he doesn't have anywhere near the arm strength that Matthew Stafford does. In
0: in terms of like that level, like guy who's going to go out and be a legit, like he can be your franchise quarterback for 10 to 12 sure. years. Is he going to be in the MVP conversation? Maybe once, maybe like, I don't mean in terms of the player type, but in terms of the career arc, Um Mac Jones ceiling is Matthew Stafford. It's, it's the old thing. You can have the boat or you can have the mystery box. And if you want a boat, You don't take the mystery box hoping it's a boat. boat. That's what it is. So, you know, if you're looking for a franchise quarterback, yeah, you're not going to get the 10 years out of Matthew Stafford, but you'll get four or five, and that's not nothing. There are teams who would kill to have four to five years of franchise quarterback play across the NFL. Look at a team like the Bears. been looking for a quarterback for 20, 25 years. They would kill to have four to five years of a guy like that. One more thing, it really helps the Patriots that the Bears are in the same division as the Lions because that would be a no-brainer if not for that. But to go back to my point before about I get I get why the Patriots want Stafford. That's not where I need convincing. Why does Matthew Stafford okay? Oh, yeah, I never gave my pitch. 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 You just raved, like, are they just going to rave about him and that's the pitch? No, that's That's part of it, right?
1: You got to put the PowerPoint up there and you got to, like, this is why we love you. But, like, look 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 at this throw, Matthew. This is a great throw you made here. Great throw. Look at this one. Why
0: is it? If Stafford has say, which I believe he will, I know right now the belief is he won't, but I think he gets a little
1: bit. Why does Matthew Stafford okay a trade to the Patriots? So here's why Matthew Stafford okay's a trade, and I also want to mention before I get into that real quickly, Bill Belichick's 68 years old, right? So as much as I want to sit here and say, and they need to win right
0: now, and yes, I, but like I, 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 get, I get it, they want Matthew Stafford. He makes sense. Why okay. is he? Why okay, here we go. He
1: here go. Here Listen, Matthew, you played in Detroit. Jim Caldwell's a good coach, but they fired him. Jim Schwartz. Not a a head coach. Matt Patricia, not a head coach. I'm Bill Belichick. Here's my here's my eight rings.
0: You just hired Matt Patricia.
1: Okay, but Matt Patricia is – he's in the basement. We're going to keep him in the basement. He's just going to do some projects for us. Don't worry about Matt Patricia. I keep him away from you. What I want from you, Matthew, or Alex in this case, is I want your short list of five free agent wide receivers that you would like to play with, and you can build your own – super team here in New England. We're one of the few teams that have the cap space to pull it off this offseason, and I'm going to coach you better than you've ever been coached. I'm going to put you in situations to actually win football games when you play well, and I'm going to give you your pick of whichever receiver you want in free agency, and we're going to pair you together as a package deal, and that's how we're going to go about this thing. It's not as good as the 49ers already ready-made offense, but it's probably the second best pitch that Matthew Stafford's going to get. That, but that doesn't, you just, you just proved my point, right? But the, the, the 49ers yeah. interested? We don't know. We don't know how much the 49ers are willing to give up. That, that's know how-
0: fair. Look, maybe the 49ers stick with Jimmy Garoppolo and that'd be huge. But again, let's say, you know, okay, let's say that, um, uh, another team that's in, they're talking about the Broncos. Let's say, okay. because, you know what? I watch, I'm from the SEC, you know, I, I'm from the SEC and I watched a lot of Alabama and that kid, Jerry Judy. Man, I'd love to throw him the ball. I'd love to throw him the ball more than Allen Robinson. You can't get Jerry Judy. Maybe he says George Kittle's my guy. I've, I, you know, I, I, like throwing TJ Hawkinson. Uh, I like throwing Eric Ebron back in the day. TJ, uh, uh, Kittle's my guy. You can't get George Kittle. That's like. I can't get George Kittle for you, Matthew, but I can get you Hunter Henry. But Hunter Henry's not George Kittle. And can you? Maybe Hunter Henry, you know, maybe there's another, cause there are other teams with cap space. Maybe Hunter Henry
1: doesn't – because now you're compounding but Here's the problem. Here's the problem, okay? If you don't get Matthew Stafford, I don't know if you can sell Hunter Henry or Allen Robinson or any of these other guys coming if, here without the Matthew Stafford job. correct. I'm not disagreeing with that point. But you
0: you can't use those guys unless you're going to tamper. And I know that there's tampering that goes on. But this would have to be pretty intense tampering. Unless you can go to – unless – You can call Matthew Stafford. Hey, Matthew, I'm going to conference you in one quick. Hi, Alan Robinson. I got Matthew Stafford on the other line. You want to tell him two months before we're allowed to have this conversation? You want to come to New England, unless that happens. Hunter Henry, do you want to... like we're all going to FaceTime in here and, and, and Hunter, tell Matthew you're signing yeah. in two months? Like, unless you do that, you can't guarantee him those guys. And if you can't guarantee him those guys, there's no incentive for him to come here. And then there is the Patricia thing too, which I forgot to mention. Which, I don't think the deal breaker, but I think
1: it compounds it. It doesn't matter. Pat- Patricia's going to be somewhere in the basement of Gillette Stadium grinding it's not- for Bill Belichick. It's he's Michael about- Maldonado. You hide it's- him in the corner. It's, it's not, not about run.
0: Patricia personally. It's not about Patricia individually. It's that what Matt. right, what was the problem? What did the players say was the issue with Matt Patricia? Was that he acted like he thought he was Bill Belichick. But, he, but now he's getting the real Bill Belichick. This but, is- but that's my point. He doesn't know what the real Bill Belichick is all he knows the, – the most he knows of Bill Belichick is Matthew Patricia's horrible impersonation of him. Okay, so that's so a good point. How much stock does he, how is, much has he put in that? Is he going to look right. at that and think if he's acting like he thinks he's Bill – how close to Bill? How close to Bill is this? And do I want to get back in that situation? If is Matt Patricia or ordained himself the next Bill Belichick and he hated that, why would he want to play for the original Bill Belichick?
1: Is it a culture fit? And not—it's nothing to do with Pat- actually seeing Patricia or having to work yeah, with Patricia. It's—is it does he actually want to buy into the Patriot way and be a part of a New England organization that runs things a certain way? I, I think Patricia took it a little bit too far in Detroit, and that was a big reason why. And, and, and I agree with you. I don't think what Patricia did
0: is an accurate representation of Belichick. The question right. is, does Matthew Stafford know that and how far, how big of a difference does he believe there is between Matt Patricia's Bill Belichick and the real Bill Belichick?
1: All I'm going to say is, is that players talk, right? And even if the teams sure. don't talk to the players because of the tampering window, that obviously that's, that's false. The teams and the players talk a whole lot before the yes. tampering window begins. But theoretically, You could have a a situation where Matthew Stafford, like Kyrie and KD in the tunnel at the All-Star game, already has some sort of conversation with an Allen Robinson. Maybe he really likes Kenny Galladay still, and he wants to bring Kenny Galladay with him wherever he goes, who's also a free agent. Maybe his guy, he wants a deep threat, and Will Fuller is his guy. Who knows, right? That's what you got to hope for is that Matthew Stafford actually comes to the table and says, you have the cap space, you have the situation that I want, And I'm already in cahoots with so-and-so to bring him with me wherever I go. And you can afford both of us. And I really want to play with Alan Robinson. Or I really want to play with Chris Godwin, right? Not that he's on that level. I'm just thinking out loud
0: here. Were A.J. Green and Stafford teammates at Georgia? that's a good question I don't think so. that's i'm I'm gonna look real quick because that could be I'm assuming that they must because if they weren't teammates they were close
1: AJ green was same drafted i I think that was what the 2010 draft i want to say it was AJ green he went in eleven
0: okay and Matthew Stafford was oh was nine was nine. So they missed it. So, so they
1: they would have been there at the same. Maybe time. maybe when AJ Green was like a true freshman, he might have played on a on a
0: Stafford team or something like that. Right. So I mean that you know that's where I kind of look at it. Um, again, like like I don't mean to shoot it down. I just think that no, no,
1: it's a it's a great point, and it's something that we all have to come to terms with that the Patriots are not this. Great destination currently, but what they do have, like I said, the benefit of is that cap space and that ability to offer whoever they're going to offer uh, in terms of quarterbacks, his pick of the litter of the free agent market and a situation where he can make his team. You know, I think that Stafford would be foolish to not want to play with George Kittle and Debo Samuel with Kyle Shanahan, but maybe he does feel like I have this buddy over here that I want to bring in, you know, or I, I, you know, this AJ Green and I go all the way back to Georgia. I'd love to play with him. Niners can't afford it. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to be the Trump card, but that's the pitch. Right, that's the pitch, is that we can create the team for you, however you want it. We're going to shape it perfectly to your skill set. We're going to get you a deep threat because you like to throw the deep ball. We're going to get you a, a, a guy at the intermediate level, a possession guy that can really get open and, and be able to be your t- your go-to target in big-time situations, and they can build it up. And he has had, we cannot understate, the terrible situation that he has played yeah. in his entire career and how much more of a stable situation this presents the Niners is a good one, too. And that's going to ultimately be the team, unfortunately, that it, that is going to decide whether or not they can make this happen in a lot of different quarterback scenarios, I would say. Right. And do the Niners get involved or not? Or are the Niners saying to themselves, Jimmy G and Stafford – I think Stafford's the better player, but maybe they don't feel like he's so much better that they're going to give up all these picks to get yeah, him. He is, though. And just real quick here, uh one there's one
0: year of overlap. Matthew Stafford's last year at Georgia, AJ Green was the leading receiver as a true freshman: fifty-six catches, nine hundred thirty-six yards, eight touchdowns. So they've they've played together. They have,
1: and that, and they that more than they're going to need more than AJ Green at this. No, stage and, and I agree.
0: With you know that. that becomes an interesting thing just to play this out. You know that's a guy I think in some ways you can guarantee. Yeah. Right? I don't know that you can guarantee Allen Robinson or Hunter Henry. A.J. Green is maybe a little easier because he won't have the massive market. And then you also, all of a sudden, like, A.J. Green's a guy we've heard that receivers around the league look up to him, right? He's, he's kind of a veteran at this point. He's not quite in that Larry Fitzgerald territory, but he's kind of become that guy that a lot of these guys now emerging in the league grew up watching A.J. Green. And I think there is something to be said for that where you go to, you know, I don't know who Allen Robinson grew up watching. You know, I don't know who Juju Smith-Schuster grew up watching, but
1: Juju Smith-Schuster grew up watching himself on TikTok. That's fair, but I'm
0: just saying they're in that age where you can go and be like, you want to play with AJ Green? Like right. that like like that then becomes a selling point. So, and and I think you can stat, you know, Stafford and AJ Green is kind of a little easier if you put those two together than you add another wide receiver. So, that becomes interesting. I just I don't know, I'm trying not to... If if the Niners like trade up in the draft, then, which really wouldn't happen ahead of time, that's super rare. But if the Niners jump up in the draft, then all of a sudden, I'm going to completely change my opinion on this, but as long as the Niners are players in this, I'm just going to have a hard time getting my hopes about Stafford. I want it. I think it would be great. I think it puts the Patriots right there with the bills for the AFC East, assuming they make the other logical moves that are in line after Stafford. But I just, again, I go back to... If the Lions come to him and say, we got offers from San Francisco, we got an offer from New England, where do you want to go? I just don't see the world that he goes to New England. Then again, Dan Campbell's a raging lunatic, and the Lions are a mess, so maybe they don't give him a say. Like, that's the best-case scenario for the Patriots here, is the Lions just kind of call him one day and say, we sent you to New England, and he gets no say in it. And then if he's upset – You get an angry Matthew Stafford, and we saw what happened with an angry Aaron Rodgers. We saw what happened with an angry Tom Brady. Like, you want an angry quarterback. You want a quarterback who's been slighted. That's one of the best things you could have in football. So Patriots fans should be rooting for Dan Campbell to be a tyrant because that's the best thing that can happen for them right now. Matthew Stafford gets no say. He gets shipped to the highest bidder because if that's the case, I think it's going to be the Patriots.
1: And just before we sign off, and we're going to get this down where we're not going for two hours every single podcast. We have to. You know? I, I promise. I mean, we could. I mean, I, I guess there's. We have no time constraints. Well, we're gonna. Are we gonna do Q and A Q&A this week? We're gonna do q and A Q&A later in the okay. week, so we'll hit that later in the week. But one last point on this Matthew Stafford thing, just on quarterbacks in general. Can New England fans? I'm I'm asking you this nicely. Let's stop being so spoiled. All right, and let's stop sitting here and saying we're not going to give up a first-round pick for a quarterback, or we're not going to make this trade for a quarterback. Everything should be on the table to get the next quarterback in here number fifteen. Everything, even Stephon Gilmore, is on the table for them to trade for a quarterback. If a team you know likes that trade, I'm not saying they will, but just hypothetically speaking, right? Right. Everybody on the roster. Nobody's every untouchable. Every draft pick should be on the table for the Patriots to go after the next quarterback. My fear is, is that the Niners are going to end up with Stafford and the trickle down effect is going to end up with Jimmy G here in right. New England. And, do, you, do you want a, do you want a really hot take here? Oh God. All right. Sign us off with God, a so every, Everybody's
0: on the table, right? You're saying everybody's on the table. Yes.
1: Everything is on the table.
0: Nick Casario now in Houston. Do you trade Bill Belichick for Deshaun Watson?
1: Oh, my God, stop it!
0: Everybody's like, you said it. it. Everybody's on the table. You said it. Stop it. Stop. I it. wouldn't, for the record. I would not. I just I thought it. that would be funny.
1: So this is in you your, answer. You didn't say yes or no though. In this scenario, you think Bill Belichick is going to go and be Nick Casario's understudy, and Nick Casario is going to be Bill's boss. I, I, didn't I think you, can, you can dream it however you want.
0: Thing. You said, you said that nobody's untouchable. There's been nobody on the stupid roster rumors, now. but rumors for years about Bill Belichick being traded. Maybe it's not up to Bill. Maybe Kraft just doesn't want him around there anymore and says we're go enjoy Jackie. I'm sorry, folks.
1: We'll we'll say, we, we, we've gone off the rails. Uh, I,
0: that, that would, I, 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 I was trying to end on a funny note and then you just wouldn't give me a funny. No, note. you know
1: me. I have no, I have no. No time for comedy on this, on this show. We're we're all serious business. We're going to be back on Thursday, like Alex said, with a live Patriots Q&A. We're going to answer your questions. We're going to talk a lot more about the Senior Bowl, I am sure, as well, which is going on. Currently practice is going on down in Mobile, Alabama. I do believe that Bill Belichick and the Patriots are in attendance for the Senior Bowl. You know they're going to be watching Alex. I mean, you know that this is a big event for the Patriots. All three of their top draft picks—Kyle Duggar, Josh Uche, and Fernie Jennings—a year ago were Senior Bowl guys. Was it Justin Heron? I think it was Justin Heron. Justin Heron was so was their bet, the best
0: player on the roster last year, Jake Bailey, two years ago. Right, um, and they had uh, Zach, Zach Cox from Nesson had a, a great stat that the Patriots have averaged three and a half draft picks per year from the Senior Bowl plus. Plenty of UDFAs. So, I mean, it's definitely worth watching. I actually did my, uh, senior bowl previews up now on 985thesportshub.com. If you want to look for some names that, uh, uh, you know, might be worth watching. I just kind of threw some stuff against the wall, but that's, all that's the guys cool. I wanted to see aren't there. Like I'm, especially on defense, like I'm looking like Nick Bolton not there. Uh, Caden Stearns not there. Like all the guys I want to see on defense, uh, Jalen Darden, who I talked about last week, pulled out the last minute. So it'll still be good, but I, I kind of like all these guys I was looking for, they all either backed out or weren't going.
1: Right. It's it's a good roster though, especially on I know you don't care about the offensive linemen. but no,
0: I, I I think offensively outside of the quarterback position where Jones is the only one of the top group. Uh offensively it's a pretty good group. I think defensively yeah. there's there's not a ton there compared to what
1: what you'd expect. So that's why the Patriots are going to draft three defensive players Naturally. from the senior bowl this year. We're going to have you all covered from the senior bowl to our live Q&A on Thursday. We're going to keep the podcast rolling next week where I think we're going to pretty much hit hard on the senior bowl and recapping the actual game since I'll be able to watch the actual game. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for listening.